0: good to be together today and to share in the Lord's Word. Um, I'm blessed. I have some very dear friends here today. I've got a long history with um, Glenn and Debbie Mazel. Raise y'all's hands up. Y'all say hey to them. When I first went to Parkway Baptist Church back in 1997, Debbie was on the search committee that uh, brought us there and We're still friends. (laughs) That's really awesome. Keep a relationship that long. Debbie is Nathan's mom. And Nathan Redfield's mom. Nathan and I go way back to when he was in the youth group at at Parkland. He was crazy. Um, But I'm not going to tell much about that. Because he's changed like me when I got married and got serious about life. All right. It uh, is good to talk to you today about what I want to talk to you about. It's a joy, and it's also a struggle, because what we're going to cover today is one of those things that, as we started a week before last, and thank you for being so gracious to Gary and Charlotte while they were here. They were so blessed by your love and your prayer and your encouragement and time with them. It was a great time together. But... um, we, we jumped over last week, Some combining two weeks this week. And in combining those two weeks, we have a lot to cover. And we're covering the two themes together, which is the sun rises, the resurrection of Christ, and death is defeated. Now, we've spent some time on the resurrection before. We really haven't camped out on death being defeated since we went through the book of Hebrews several years ago and kind of picked up. At the beginning and walked all the way through and really dwelt on it in chapter two where we are today. So we're going to be refreshing a few of those things, uh, today. So I want to just jump right in. Number one, and I want to tell you these behind the scenes folks are awesome. Like Peggy and Andrew and other folks are doing stuff getting us ready for Sunday. Peggy was doing this quick edit for me this morning and I'm so thankful for all these folks who help us. Uh, the reality of the reign of death. We covered the reign of death two weeks ago. We camped on Romans 5, where it says that death reigned as a result of sin, that in Adam all die, and that death reigns through Adam in us, and that we are all going to die. And so death reigns. And so I want to talk to you about four realities of death real quick to kind of make sure we understand why we need to talk about this and what kind of control it really has over us. So let's cover those. Uh, the reality in, in the outline letter A, the reality of the process of dying. This is a this is a tough thing. But from conception you are dying. There is a you are in a process. There's this blip on the screen of eternity that is your life rising out of conception and fading into the earth. There is this brief spot. Sometimes it's as long as 115 years, even in modern age. There was a lot of folks lived longer back in the day. But we've had some folks live like 115, 116 in the last few years. We've heard about them, oldest person in the world. Really exciting to think about making that many years and having a conversation with them and hearing all the different things they attribute long life to. Then maybe it's the 70 years, the... The three score in ten, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's an early crib death. It's all so shocking, tragic, heart-wrenching, or an accident, or an early arrival of a disease, or just a midlife moment uh, where you were surprised by an illness or a heart attack, or maybe it's just slowly growing into that 115 and just kind of wearing out. We're all in the process of dying, and it bugs us. We know it's there. It's not just that, there's more. Dying has another part we don't like. Let her be the parting through death. We do not like this. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I've been at some funerals, and it was like, ah, oh, just the parting is so hard. I remember being with my dad. In the days preceding his death, I was 17 years old and being torn and one day praying for zealing, healing and the next day praying, Lord, take him out of his suffering. Take him out of this misery. And that parting. And then, how many times since I was 17, I've thought, man, I wish my dad was here. i got a few questions. I need some advice. I wish I had his wisdom to tap into right now. I wish I hadn't been such a knucklehead at 15 and 16 when I should have been asking more profound questions than I did. I should have been asking about things other than cars. So you think back about that. So the parting is hard. Holding the hand of a loved one who's slipping into eternity in that whole parting moment. And then the feeling, the sense of loss that comes with it. A widower, a widow, a friend, a child bereft of a parent, a parent bereft of their child. And, and, the, and, and the, this, this parting is painful. And the truth is, we, we, we pretty much hate it. And then there's a third slice of death, and that's its permanence wow the other day i was reading on the news and and the the star player for the saints just bam he's gone young children it's gone and, and and reading it and thinking, and I'm not like just mega into football, but it just it just seemed like such a waste. Did you know I cried when Steve Irwin died? Did anybody else cry when Steve Irwin died? I cried. I loved that guy. He was the, the, the croc hunter. And I thought, you know, he has as much joy in what he does as anybody ever has. I loved when he came to the US and was faced with the cotton mouth. And I thought he's meeting a tough critter here. I just love him. The zeal. I cried when he died. There's just there's just permanence to it. It's like no it's nothing but reruns now. And so you, you so if something happens, you think, can we can we can we rewind the clock for a minute? And then we realize we can't. And it is done. And we can't fix it. And then, there is that lingering sense of a payout after death. Hey, I've got to give an account. i gotta, I got I to gotta meet somebody. And there's this moment of payout for what I've been doing with my life. There's a judgment coming and I'm scared of it. And so when we look at the reality of death and we look at these four, we kind of summarize a lot of things into four components. And we look at these four components and we say, okay, there's the process of dying. It's producing something in us that we don't like. There's the parting of dying that we, hate. there's this permanence of death that we can't undo. And then there's this payout after death that's like, whoo, am I ready for that? And so number two leads us out of number one, and it's the reaction to the reign of death. And there's a twofold reaction. They go together, but one precedes the other. First reaction to the reign of death is the fear of death. You said, Pastor Bart, let's, let's think this through. How is the process of dying? I mean, how, how do you know that's causing any fear of death in us? <laughs> you, you want me to answer that? The healthcare industry in the United States, people trying to stay alive, three trillion dollars a year. Now let me put that into global economy. The US, just the US, three trillion dollars a year. If we took the healthcare economy and turned it into a nation, it would be the fifth largest national economy in the world. Just our health care. We want to live. We are fighting this thing called death and we're fighting it through things that God has given us. We're glad to have hospitals and doctors and nurses and pharmacists and all of these things. We're we're, we're thankful for this. But the truth is, is, it's revealing something about us. We are really unsettled about the process of dying. We're really unsettled about it. It's bugging us. Some of us are paying outrageous insurance premiums, but you know you have to. It's kind of like, I want to stay alive. What good's my money if I'm dead? So you're going to go ahead and pay it out. And so the fear of death's bugging us. And so something happens with that fear. Help me out here, Peggy. It's slavery to the fear. Now, I want to go to the text at this point to make sure that what I'm laying out for you is not something that I just kind of came up with sitting around the other day and thought, oh, that sounds good. Book of Hebrews, chapter 2, Landon read it for us. He says in verse 14, let's go to 15, just a snippet first. And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And and I know you want to buck up against that a little bit and say, not me, I'm not that. Maybe not. Maybe you're at a new place. But let me talk to you about the fear of death. We, We sing about it, but we dress it up in a nicer way. So that when we sing about it, we... We're not saying it quite as explicitly as we really think we probably ought to. But we're afraid if we say it all this explicitly, it might bug people a little bit more. But it goes like this. T'was grace that taught my heart to, and grace my relieved. You see, it is by God's grace that it bugs you that you're going to die. It is an act first of natural grace. It is an act first of natural grace. God has built into the human experience the natural grace of the fear of death. Because Hebrews 9.27 says this, Inasmuch as it is appointed, all men once to die, and after this comes the judgment. That needs to be the reigning chief fear. It should be. And it is a natural grace to fear death because death is the result of evil. Evil entered the world through sin, through Adam and Eve's sin, and evil spread not through environmental sin, but existential sin in our own hearts. Sin doesn't spread through the air. It spreads through the error of men's hearts. The error of women's hearts. Because we are sinners by nature and by birth. And so, there's this natural, God-given fear of death. It's a gift. It's, Intentional by God. It's the first emotion recorded after the fall. Adam and Eve sew up their little fig leaves and run off into the woods. God shows up. They're hiding from Him and He says, What happened to y'all? And they said, We were afraid. And so, God had said, You're going to die. The fear of death ensnared humanity at that moment. And at that moment, God gave a natural instinct to us to fear death. There's more than a natural instinct necessary in dealing with death. And that is, there is a supernatural understanding. When the ministry of the Holy Spirit is explained in John 16, Jesus said that the Spirit of God is going to be sent out into the world. And the Spirit of God is going to do... Three things, very clearly. Convict men of sin. Remember that? What's the second one? Righteousness. And the third? The judgment to come. So there's not only a natural fear that God has put in humanity, but the work of the Holy Spirit is to produce a supernatural fear of death. A supernatural fear that would drive you to resolve that fear in the right way the natural way the natural fear drives you to resolve it but it leads to slavery the supernatural fear leads you to resolve it but it leads to freedom and so when we look at those four categories we're in the process of dying We look at the parting that comes from it. We look at the permanence of it. And then we look at the payout that's coming afterwards. There's a natural inclination to want to resolve that. But there's also, by the gift of God, a supernatural revelation to resolve it. The work of the Holy Spirit so that you could actually be freed and relieved from that fear. I'm going to break that fear into several parts. Let's walk through them. First, slavery to fear and anxiety. One of the biggest selling medicines in the world today is anti-anxiety medication. not getting on to you if you're taking some. My conversation is not to belittle you or discourage you in any way, but the fact that anxiety exists is from the fall. And it is tied to those four truths. The process of dying. Life is hard. The permanence of death. It can't be recovered. The parting. The sense of isolation and loneliness. And then the impending payout. Anxiety is tied to these things. And not all anxieties are rational, and not all anxieties are tied specifically to this. But the general malaise of anxiety in the world is tied to the existential fear, the experiential fear of the process and the permanence of death. The second slavery is a slavery to deception. I've said that natural fear of death leads people to want to cope with it. And so there's deceptions. This is how religions get their start. Religions get their start trying to deal with four questions. Where did we come from? What meaning does life have? What caused life to go wrong? And where's everything heading? This is the four things every religions trying to deal with, and almost all world religions have some coping mechanism for death. Now, there may be a few, but they're very rare. Almost all of them have a coping mechanism for death. Even the false philosophies of there being no eternity is a coping mechanism to cope with the anxiety. When somebody says, oh no, there ain't nothing there. You, you die and there's just nothing there. That's a coping mechanism. They're trying to reassure their heart that there's not a payout. So go ahead and do whatever you want to do. That's why in the book of Acts, and then Paul picks up later and talks about it in Corinthians, that the people who don't believe in a resurrection, their philosophy is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's just go on about life. There's no payout. Whether it is in excess or just in normalcy, let's just go on about life. There's no payout. So there's a slavery to deception, false gods, false religions. All of those things are the products of the anguish and angst of the unsettledness of humanity trying in the natural realm to work out a resolution to those four fears, the process of dying, the parting. That's why if you go to some of the East Asian cultures, the thing that they're wrestling with, is their ancestor's departure. And so they're trying to stay in touch. Trying to stay in contact with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and all those generations. They're trying, and they're even hoping to help those people along in their journey in eternity. That's why when they buried the Pharaohs, they buried them with food. They buried them with implements because they thought they were going on a journey into the netherworld. I've got a great picture in my office that came from Egypt, written on true papyrus, that a missionary friend of mine brought to me. And it is a picture of the whole judgment system of Egypt and how they believe and how it all plays out and how man's soul is actually weighed in scales. It's a very interesting picture. And the Egyptians had a very well-developed picture that death brought judgment. And so they built this system of gods and goddesses and redemption that was based on these falsehoods in order to cope with their own fear of death. And so there's a slavery to deception. There's also the slavery to avoidance. This is why it's fun to get drunk. Because when you get drunk, you ain't worried about stuff. Now, I'm not encouraging you to get drunk, but I don't want us to pretend that getting drunk's not fun. It wouldn't be selling so well if it was a miserable time. I mean, it's miserable afterwards. That's why we like to take pills. That's why heroin is so powerfully addictive. Because when you take a drug like that, it's like, man, the worries of the world, man, I can avoid them right now. I can avoid them. I can't avoid the judgment that's coming, but I can avoid the feeling i got right now. All of these things are the alcoholism and drug abuse and sensuality and headlong into uh, 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 aberrant sexual identities. All of these things are avoidance mechanisms to deal with the fact that I feel like I'm dying. I know there's going to be a parting. I know it's permanent. and There's got to be some kind of pain. I've got to avoid him thinking about that. So let's don't talk about it. Shh. Stop. We don't talk about that in our house. makes everybody nervous. I hear that kind of thing. And so, there's this slavery to avoidance. I mean, when's the last time you had a really good talk with somebody about dying? and You being ready and them being ready. When's the last time you had a really lengthy conversation about the importance of understanding death and... It's the very first story in the Bible after creation. It's the story of death. It's the last story in the Bible. At the great white throne of judgment, it's the story of death. So evidently, and there's a lot of people die in between. In fact, almost everybody, I think, Enoch gets out of it. That whole taken up thing. Aside from that, even Jesus dies. And so... We've got this event. You got, you got Lazarus. He came and went. All right. It's like, why'd you bring me back? Jesus. It's like your mom picking you up from a party too soon. I mean, it's like, I can't believe you showed up this early. Go ahead. It's funny. I have to think about that. <laughs> Lazarus with that little minion voice. What? Oh, wow. Next, slavery to management. That's the health care system and our obsession with physical fitness and elixirs. Everybody's got an elixir. You go, <laughs> I'm not on Facebook. And unless God tells me to, I'm going to stay that route, okay? Applause, applause. Okay, anyway. Uh, but it doesn't take long hanging out on Facebook to find out everybody's got an elixir. And they're not afraid to tell you. I mean, it's a miracle. It's a wonder. It's a, and it's on. And it's got all kinds of promises. Why do we fall prey to all that? Because we're caught up in trying to manage our deaths. Now, I don't want you to be a bad steward, but there is a book already written of the day you're going to die. And I don't want you to go and be a knucklehead and say, well, there's a, at least one proverb says, why be a fool and die before your time? So obviously there's some kind of way you can short circuit some of this, but there's a, David said in Psalm 139, in a book there were written the number of days that I would live before there was a number, before there was one of them take place. And I don't want you to be a bad steward because I believe your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um... And I'm 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 fighting temple expansion right now. (laughs) God does not need more room. Somehow he can you know fit in here. But um, I'm wrestling with that. So if you're looking at me going some temple, I'm on it. All right, I'm on it. Um, Slavery to management means that you're sometimes more worried about the upkeep of your physical being than the well-being of your soul. That's when you're a slave to management. It's when you spend more focus on health food in a day than spiritual food in a day. It's when you're more willing to talk to somebody about your remedy for their physical sickness than God's remedy for their spiritual sickness. And there is a kind of management crisis in the United States and we're all obsessed with this thing and we're going to spend $3 trillion this year and I want to tell you something. And I just want to get right on down to where it will offend me as I offend you. We'll spend more on health care than evangelism. Adrian Rogers said this. Baptists spend more time trying to keep saved people out of hospitals than sick people out of hell. There's a problem there. It's because we're obsessed with management. Ninety percent of any prayer meeting is health care issues. Now, should we not care? I'm not saying that. So don't go home and say, Bard doesn't want to pray about my aunt's broken toe. Okay? I do. I care about your aunt. Where's she going? I want to know. Where's she going? And can we pray for that? And so there's a slavery to management. So there's a lot going on in this death thing, and it's pervasive in our culture. I'm riding down, and I, I man, I hope that saying this is not... I don't want you to think of me as judgmental or critical. That is not what I want to do. But I'm riding down Main Street, and I'm watching the sweet little Asian family that lives on Main Street standing in front of their shrine. <laughs> And I passed by there. Right here in Pineville, you could hit First Baptist Church from their yard if you threw a rock real far. And so if you're wondering if all these false systems are invading our own culture, and I don't mean invading like that bad sense. I mean just with us here. It's right here. And this slavery is all over us. It's in how we conduct ourselves every day. And so, please don't take from anything I've said the uh, idea of I want to be a bad steward of health. That is not my point. My point is I want to be a better steward of our spiritual health than of our physical. I want to, I want to be more tied to that than this. Because no matter what we do, death is on us. And we can't stop it. But, oh God, we can stop people going to hell. We can And so, something comes out of this. And that's where the glory of this text is. Number three, the remedy for death. I brought it up last, the week before last a little bit. The remedy for death. And so, let's, let's look at that remedy. Break it into uh, three or four parts. And, um, and then from there, kind of take us home with some things to ponder. Okay, verse 14 of Hebrews 2. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. Now, this is important because prior to the incarnation, Jesus can't experience death. He's not capable of experiencing death because God can't die. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He can't die. You can't stick a knife in Him. You can't hit Him with a whip. You can't crown Him with thorns. You can't do any of these things to Him. You can't nail Him to anything. Because He is God the Son, all eternal spiritual being, self-existent, beyond our comprehension. But in order... To deliver us in order for the remedy to be in, the incarnation has to happen. So all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus in bodily form. All the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. That's Colossians explaining to us, the second person of the Trinity. Christ, the Son, in the flesh. He takes on this flesh because He loves you. He becomes like you. To save you, He becomes you. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's good stuff! That's stuff that hospital beds are comforted by. And so it says here, He took on flesh and blood. He partook of the same. He knows what a skint knee and a runny nose is like. He knows what it feels like to feel embarrassed. Hated or spat on. He knows all those things. And he could only know them experientially and existentially by putting on this body of flesh. And on your behalf, he robed up. On your behalf, he dressed up in your skin. He knows. All of your feelings. The Bible says He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He knows the pressure of temptation. He knows all of those things, every one of those experiences. He is tied deeply into an understanding of, not through the knowledge of a distance of a spiritual being looking down, but God condescending and putting on the flesh and living it out. He knows what it's like to be in a mother's womb and at a mother's breast. He knows what it's like to be spanked, and he knows what it's like to have his diaper changed. And he's got all of these experiences as God. And so, since the children, I love that. The children of God, since they have flesh and blood, he partook of the same. That through death. So, what does he do first? A personal being defeated. He might render a powerless him who had the power of death. I don't know how this deal worked. But somehow when Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate, Satan received an authority over humanity. And it's the authority of death. And he had that power. I don't know how that worked. I don't know how God can have the authority of death over Satan, yet Satan can have the authority of death. I'm hoping. i got that little set of cards in my pocket, three by five cards. I want to ask God a lot of stuff. Adam and Eve and the belly button thing. I want to ask about that. Y'all thought about that? Because they would have looked weird without one. They didn't have any cause to have one. I want to ask about it. I want to ask about predestination and why I've had so much hassle in my life believing it. I want to ask Him. I want to ask Him about all those things that we ponder at night. How does gravity work? And who turned up the volume on it as I got older? I can't jump as high as I used to. Somebody changed something. I... Somehow, Satan had a power. And he's powerful. And so there is a the personal being that's being defeated that he might render powerless the devil. I love in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, real theological movie, um, where the abominable snowman, and this is a spoiler for those who have never seen it, Okay. Where the abominable snowman, you know, he falls off that cliff and then later shows up later in the movie and Yukon Cornelius, they ask him, they says, What what's up with here? he says, Bumbles bounce, you remember that part? And then everybody gets scared of him because he's there, but we then remember we then remember what the little elf's gift was. He always wanted to be a what? A dentist. And so, uh, the, the, the abominable snowman smiles and there's no teeth. I want to tell you something. When Jesus was on the cross, he ripped all Satan's teeth out. And Satan can gum you, but he can't, he can't chew you up. And so there's something happening at the cross here. He is breaking the power. Oh, it's awesome. Satan thought maybe there's victory through the death of this son. No, not for you, Satan. There's defeat. Second, a power is broken. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Power is broken. Third, a punishment is born. In order for the power to be broken, the punishment had to be carried out. I want you to think about, okay, what is Jesus doing at the cross? I want you to imagine a tsunami. You're standing on a beach and a tsunami is coming towards you. A tsunami of water. The wall of water is infinitely high. The wall of water is infinitely deep. The wall of water is infinitely wide. The wall of water is infinitely long, and that wall of water is the wrath of God, and it is bearing down on your soul. And because you are a sinner and you have offended a holy God, that wave is rolling, roaring, moving towards you. You do not know the day that it may hit you, but it is coming, and you can't escape its path, and it will roll through you infinitely. And Jesus steps in front of you, and in a moment, drinks. All of the infinity of its width and its height and its depth and its length. Because only an infinite being can drink an infinite punishment. And he drinks every drop of it in for you. He feels the punishment for every sin you've ever committed. The rejection from His Father for the willfulness you had against God. He feels every bit. Hell is nothing compared to what He drank that day. He drank it on behalf of billions of people. He drank it that He may taste death for everyone. It was unbelievable. In one gulp on the cross, He said, It is finished. And Jesus... A punishment born, but something happened with it. A propitiation bought. You see, God became satisfied in that moment and released us from our debt. Satan wasn't the one who had the ultimate power. God did. And it was only by God's authority that Satan could have ever had his power. And it was only by God's authority that Satan's power could be broken. And so it's broken. Because the payment and the propitiation. In other words, God's accepting us as right with Him now. Not wrong with Him. And so this propitiation is bought. It's mentioned there in verse 17. You can go back and kind of hunt that down uh, later on. It's in verse 17. So all this happens now. I want to take you back and talk to you about hell real quick and then I want to close. Remember in the beginning I talked about death is a process of dying. It is a parting It is a permanence and it is a payout. Why did I describe it that way? Because I just described hell to you. With this exception, there are two deaths. The first one is a physical, temporal death, it happens and it ends. But there's a thing called the second death where the feeling of dying never stops. The parting never ceases. The payout is never paid. And the permanence is irrevocable. One of the most disturbing stories I ever heard about hell one day was the story of a dream. E.V. Hill was preaching the great, great Orator, He was so good at communicating the gospel. And he told about a dream that a woman had. The dream's not from the Bible. But it was an imagination of hell. She has this vision that she's standing at the gate of hell and there's people in hell. And she's looking at them and she speaks to the guard and she says, help them. Give them a drink of water. The guard says, there's no water. In hell. So he says, then give them some air that they may breathe. The guard says, there's no air in hell. Give them some relief. There's no relief in hell. And then she says, oh, God, then let them die. And the guard says, there's no death in hell. You can't ever finalize death in hell. It is the ever-present process of dying. Whatever your horror, whatever your fear, whatever your terror that you have ever faced is incomparable to the terror of a moment of the inescapable reality of a payout and a parting and a permanence and a process That you can never escape. And so the glory of the gospel is that Jesus tasted it on your behalf. Let's read through the text and close with Revelation 21. So what's he say? Verse 14. Drink this in, it's beautiful. Peggy, you can go ahead and go to number four. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. Jesus Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. The release from death. The release from death. Revelation 21. Come there. We close with this, and I offer you an invitation with this glorious verse. Verse 1, Revelation 21, stand with me. Consider this. Consider your ways. Consider where you're going. And consider that if you know Christ, this is reason to rejoice. And if you don't know Christ, it is reason to run! I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. And He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. Do you know what's wrong with us? We've gotten bored with the Gospel. This is the Gospel. Jesus tasted death at the cross for you. And He did it in love. And he wants you to turn from your sin and your selfishness and he wants you to trust that not only did he die for you, but his resurrection was the affirmation that death cannot hold him. Death cannot keep him because he is the eternal, infinite son of the living God and death has no reign over him. He reigns over death. And he broke it. And you know what you don't have to be anymore? You don't have to be scared. Not another minute! You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be afraid. Because Jesus, Jesus has overcome. And He wants you to leave your sin and selfish ways and run to Him. And He wants you to do it now because you do not know the day of your death. You don't know how much time you've got for the wave of God's wrath washes over the beach of your life and you are removed eternally from hope. Would you come to Him? Believer, would you rejoice in the Gospel today? And in prayer, thank God that Jesus did this for you so you can go home rejoicing. Pray with me. Father, by the grace of God, draw... Lost people to you, those who even this day are headed for hell. And bring them to this grace. And take those who are saved and let them rejoice in the gospel. And the God of our salvation and the Lord Jesus who brought it about. And the Holy Spirit who convinced us spiritually we needed to resolve this death issue. Thank you for the Trinity coming to save us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you come?